Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, it's good to see everybody out tonight, and we have a special visitor with us tonight. Um, you've been praying for him. You haven't had an opportunity to meet him yet. Um, I guess about three weeks ago this Friday, I believe, there was a stabbing on the campus of Rutgers University. You might have seen it on the news. Well, the young man that was stabbed was a former basketball player and student of mine at Henry Hudson High School. And I asked him to come out this past Sunday, but he had a previous engagement, so he said, the next time you speak, coach, I'll come out. Well, I said, well, Jake, I speak this Wednesday. <laughs> I don't think he thought it was going to come as quick as I told him. But, Jake, I would just like you to uh, stand up just for a second, Jake, so the people can see you. And... Thanks, Jake. So, Jake, these are some of the dear people that have been praying for you since that uh, Saturday morning when I got a, the call from Tommy Fennel. So, uh, I think it's cool that you're seeing them and uh, that they're seeing you. And also, I know that you know some of the guys and their wives who came out when you played basketball for me a couple years ago. So that's neat to have you here tonight. So that's awesome. So anyway, I want to do this one first before I get into the message tonight. This is for Jake, but it's also for all of us. Um, Jake has probably seen this on my desk that I shared with you in the past. I have a little one. It's probably just about at this big, one square. And over the years, I put it on my desk in, my, in the gym, and kids, will, it's like a Rubik's Cube, and kids will pick it up, and they'll play with it, and I'm just waiting for them to say, hey, coach, what's this? And then in less than a minute, you can give them the gospel message, but as long as the kids ask you, it's cool. You just can't do it to them, so you have to be wise. you got to be sly as a fox. Okay, so what this is, is an Avanja cube. And this is the big version. Like I said, the normal one is just about this big. Just the top half of this guy's body is about the normal size. So what we have here is this is you and me before we received Christ in our life. We were in darkness. We were separated from the light. So that's the condition of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And I know a lot of you know this, but you know what? Fundamentals are important in everything we do. We, we never want to lose where we came from. So then what you do is you open this up, and you have a picture of Jesus on the cross. Okay, and we know that God loved the world so much that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then you open it this way, and the whole world thought they beat Jesus by killing him, putting him on the cross. So they locked him in a tomb, rolled a stone across it. It has a Roman guard seal, and these guys were stationed there, and if they fell asleep at their post, 
they would have been executed. And we know that three days later, Jesus rolled the stone away. And He lives. He's risen. He's a risen Savior. He's no longer hanging on a cross. And then the next thing we do here is we open it this way. And then what that did by Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead, it bridges a gap. And the gap is from the darkness to the light. And the only way over from the darkness to the light is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's a decision. Just like this guy. He's got to make a decision if he wants to stay there, go the opposite way, or continue towards the light. Now, if he continues towards the light, Jesus is there to meet him. And he's a friend of Jesus now. He's a son of God. He's embraced Jesus and believes in what he did on the cross. And then as a result of that, what takes place is the world calls it prayer. We call it prayer too, but we know we can now communicate with Jesus. We can talk to him. We have his word from Genesis to Revelation that we can read, and now he'll open up the scriptures to us because we have spiritual insight now. We can have fellowship with one another right here in the body of Christ or anywhere through the world where there's born-again believers. And then we get to tell others about Jesus. We get to do that. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. We're not obligated to do it. We get to do it. So I took about two and a half minutes with this one, but that's the gospel. Now, that's the most important thing is our relationship with the Lord, is having a Savior. Otherwise, you and I know that we're going to die in our sins and then we're going to be judged based on whether we we receive Jesus or not. If we receive Him on this earth, we're in. We're sons and daughters of God. We have an inheritance waiting for us that we'll realize one day when we close our eyes here and open up on the other side. Now, coaching 42 years, it goes very fast when you have young men like Mac and and like Jake, who played for me, it, seasons roll together. One season rolls into the next and the next. And before you know it, 42 years have passed. I never thought, I wasn't sure when I got that phone call that morning that I was going to see Jake alive. He had lost over half the blood in his body. His uh, stomach was cut from one side to the other. He was actually holding his intestines in his hands. We were just talking on the way over here. There was a surgeon ready to go. He was only three minutes from, the, from Robert Wood Johnson because he was up at the Rutgers dorms. So he was in a location that even though this tragedy took place, he had help only minutes away. He was on the critical list. Um, when I went to see him, it was just uh, probably 15, 13 hours after it happened. So he was on heavy pain medication. He had had a major operation through the night. And I want to say a week later, Jake was out. As a matter of fact, he was getting out, I think, either the day I called him or the day before. And he had done 22 laps around the hospital floor, which equaled one mile. So he went from the criticalist on a Friday, 
And I believe, and I told Jake, because of your prayers and prayers of some other churches, and Jake said it tonight, um, he has a second chance. Not many people would have survived that operation and that trauma that he went through. So, 62 years on this earth, I see another miracle that God touched another life. You know, and I'm looking at a church people right now that God saved your life and my life. You're all miracles. We're all miracles because of what God has done. Now we know, most of us know that gospel story that I just said. But what we're going to look at tonight, if you were here on Sunday, we talked about the day of the Lord. And tonight we're going to go into Joel chapter 2. So if you could open up your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. A few weeks ago we went through Joel chapter 1. So we're in Joel chapter 2. And this is a prophetic book, similar to Pastor Paul when he taught a week or so ago. Joel is one of the minor prophets, but that doesn't mean he didn't have a major message. It's just one of the smaller prophetic books. Okay, that's why it's a minor book. But it has, like I said, a major message. Up on the screen is chapter 1. Basically what took place in chapter 1, if you haven't read it, is just a... This is to the nation of... Actually, it's to the southern region of Israel, which was known as Judah at the time. The northern part of Israel was Israel. So today we know it as Israel, okay? The whole nation is Israel. Back in these days, the southern part was Judah, the northern part was called Israel. In chapter 1, you have this prophecy, but what took place here was something these guys lived through. There was a locust plague and a drought. And the reason this took place was because the people turned their back on God. Now you might say, well, God's awful mean to throw locusts and a drought to these people. But I have to tell you, I disagree if that's your stance. Some people might be wondering, even Jake might be wondering, what a terrible thing that happened to him a few weeks ago. And that is true. It was a terrible thing. But in Romans 8.28 it says, all things work together for good to those who love God, and are called according to his purpose. I remember uh, another Hudson kid, Mrs. Kim Caraman, my uh, fellow phys ed partner. Her brother was a freshman athlete of mine way back in the 70s, I believe it was, maybe really early 80s. And he, as a freshman, got leukemia. And he, passed, he fought it for a few years, and then he passed away um, just before his senior year started. He was in and out of the hospital with remission and all that stuff. During that time, he received the Lord. We were shown a movie, The Cross and the Switchblade, right at the rec center in Highlands. And uh, he received the Lord along with his sister. 
So I know that I want to see Brian again in heaven. I know that, and now he'd be like 45, 48 years old now if he was still alive. So he's in heaven. There's going to be a great reunion with Brian. Leukemia was a tragedy, but one of the things it did, it got him to be serious with his life. And at a young age of 15 years old, he received the Lord. So Jake and I talked in the office one day shortly after this happened, about a week or so, and we just talked, and the Lord put on my heart to just invite him out to church. And I believe that even though through that tragedy, I think God is trying to get a hold of Jake's heart. He wants to just use that circumstance to show him how much he's loved not only by God himself, but by people that are in Jake's life. So here in chapter 1, we have a locust plague, and it devastated the land. In chapter 2, as what we're going to look at tonight, is uh, a few things at this chapter. It's a long chapter, but we're going to break it up into segments that I have up here on the screen. The, The repercussions... Verses 1 to 10, repentance, verses 12 to 17, results, verses 18 to 27, restoration, verses 28 and 29, and salvation uh, in the rest of the chapter. Let's start with the first 10 verses of Joel chapter 2. Blow the trumpet, and remember, blow the shofar. If you were here Sunday, you heard that shofar, how sweet it sounded. Blow the shofar in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, over mountains they leap. Like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the walls like men of war. Everyone marches in formation and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. All right, now, here in this uh, next segment, you have blowing the shofar, and I don't know if you can see, yeah, you can, that yellow circle was Mount Zion back in the days when Joel was writing this. Just that little section of the town, and of course, it grew over the years. Okay, and you can't really tell it on this, but if you go from the circle up to the right, our right, there's an elevation climb. It's going up. So it's built on a mountain. It's built on, it's built on a huge 
mountain, this area, okay? And this, if you blew the shofar, you could blow it right now from up on the right here where you see the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is in the right corner. If you went up there and just blew that shofar, you could hear that throughout the city of Jerusalem today. Okay, you saw that area the other day. It was a wide open country. And that shofar, if you were across over near the base of those mountains, you would have heard that shofar. One of the things in uh, chapter 1, or, or even here in verse 1, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. It's a belief by many Christians that when we hear that trumpet, when we hear the shofar, we're out of here. We're going to be raptured up in the clouds. It's a supernatural event. You see here in this picture, if you look closely, the people are below the bride, but if you look real close, the people are becoming the bride. I think that's such a neat picture up there. Like, we're the bride of Christ. When we're called up to be with the Lord in the air, that's the beginning of the day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord goes on. It's going to be a time of rejoicing for you and me. It's going to be a time of judgment for others. And like I shared just when we did the Gospel just now, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now, before all this happens, okay, your sins are already judged. They've been judged at the cross. You don't have a penalty to pay anymore. If you don't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because He washes away your sins. No good works washes them away. Nothing we do can wash them away. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and His sacrificial death and our turning from our lifestyle to follow what He wants us to do. Now I can tell two young guys who I love very much, and they know that I've been up at Hudson for 42 years, and I've had some of their moms and their dads. And I can look back at those 62 years, and in my 20s and 30s, I was just... Nowhere near where I am today, spiritually speaking. But I can look back at all those years and see God's hand on my life bringing me to where He has me today. It's the same for each one of us here. doesn't matter how young. I should go to your right, guys. How young or how old you are. doesn't matter. Okay? It doesn't matter. He loves every single individual in here. He knows all of your good things, bad things, all the things that you don't think anybody else knows, He knows. Guaranteed. He's God. He knows everything. We can't hide from Him. So here's that picture of Jesus receiving the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the body of Christ, you and me. The body made up of individual parts. Collectively, we come together to go to be with the Lord in the air. And for seven years, we have a wedding feast unlike any other. Tremendous, tremendous beginning of the day of the Lord. However, for those whose sins have not been judged, for those who ignore Jesus Christ or who are atheists or are um, involved in other religions besides the relationship with Jesus are going to go through a time 
that they, God does not want them to go through. He doesn't want them to have to experience that. He's not a vengeful God. He's a loving God. He doesn't want anybody to perish. Now, um, we're going to come back to verses 12 and 13 in a second, but let's go back. I just want to highlight some of the verses in the first 10 verses or first, yeah, first 10 verses that I just read. The trumpet is an alarm. It's to gather people. It's, it's to cause people to take notice. If you look at verse 2, notice the day of the Lord is not a good day here by Joel. It's a day of darkness. And if you want to do some further reading, you can go into Zechariah chapter 12, okay, for some more reading about the day of the Lord. You can also read about in Revelation 9, beginning with verse 10, some more about the day of the Lord. But notice, it's just a day of darkness. And notice after that, below that, it says, a people come great and strong, like the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them. Now, you've got to understand that when Joel wrote this, he was writing it to the people in Judah who were going through this drought. But notice here, as he's talking here, it sounds like all of a sudden a people come great and strong. Now, the only thing they've seen up to this time is this locust army, this army of locusts, millions and millions of locusts that have just ravaged the land. Now, something that I believe that the Lord shared with me through Mac tonight at dinner was it talked about in verse 4 of Joel chapter 1, it said, What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. So you see a progression Okay, and one of the things that Max shared with me as he read that scripture today, he saw his male generation of his family. And I never thought of that before, that angle. That's how God spoke to him, that through these different locusts was like the generation in his family of his dad and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. And that... Where is he in that? Now, not even thinking about this, just except when we're eating, I'm saying here right now, all of us, left to ourselves, are a destructive force. All of us. We're like these locusts. Wherever we go, we destroy. Unless we have Jesus Christ living within us so that wherever he puts us in our world, whatever it is, whether it's a student in high school, a student in college, whether it's being in the service, whether it's being a mom, a dad, a working mom and dad, whatever it is, he's put you in that position to have an influence on the people that are in your life. And whether that is a very physical influence, a very visible influence, I should say, or Maybe you're that intercessory prayer person that's just praying for that person across from you at work. And it might be those very prayers that break down the walls to allow Jesus Christ to speak to this person's heart. That is why we are here, everybody. It's not to coach for 42 years. It's not to earn a million dollars. 
It's not to drive the fancy cars. It's to touch lives for Jesus Christ any way He's given you the ability to do that and that opportunity. Now notice in all those verses, three on, it's a lot of destruction. There's a lot of things that are going on. Uh, some people even go as f into this so deep that they talk about the Apache helicopters and the sound on the mountaintops coming like locusts over to fight. We can look back on this history and we know that after this time, after this Joel's prophecy, eventually the Assyrians and the Babylonians came down physically and attacked Israel and Judah. But this is pre-exile writing right now. None of that has taken place yet. So what we can see here is down the road, physical, things have really happened. We know in chapter 1, actual stuff did happen that wiped out their economy, their crops. But we also know here, we get a glimpse not only things that are happening throughout history, but the end of history, because five times in the book of Joel, the day of the Lord is mentioned. And then, as a Bible student, we should see, well, where else in the Scriptures does it talk about the day of the Lord? And this way you get supplemental verses that support what God is showing you in His Word. We all want to be biblical students, this is his playbook. This is what he's given us to go through and maneuver in this life that we have. And the Bible says that as we draw closer to God, he draws closer to us. And he says that he will give us insight into the Scriptures. There'll be things in the Scriptures that haven't been seen in history up until the time that God wants to show it to us. Are we anticipating that when we open up his word? Or is it just a novel to us? Is it something we just read out of habit to get the Bible read in a year? Or are we just trying, to, or are we going in there saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, you know what I'm, what's going to happen these next 15 hours of my life. What do you have for me in your word? Speak to me in your word. We talked about the sponge on Sunday. Are you squeezing his word to get watered by him? to get cleansed by Him, to get built up by Him. Let's take a look at verse 11. The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Now the title of tonight's message is simply that. Who can endure it? who can endure the things that we're reading about in the Scripture tonight? Who can endure the day of the Lord? Notice, the Lord gives voice before His army. Now, two things with this. One is the army seems very destructive. Is this truly the Lord's army? Is this the army? Is ISIS the Lord's army? No. But, what Satan means for evil, God can use for good. God can turn around those things that are destructive 
and cause life and growth out of them. We see that through the martyrs, through the persecuted church. We see that. There have been ISIS people who have come to the Lord because God has spoken to them in a dream, in a vision, or by someone who had the courage enough to give them the gospel before they were beheaded. And then that ISIS person has to live with that, knowing that that guy had joy or girl had joy on their face while they were sharing the gospel minutes before their head was taken off. So the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. How great is the army of God, the bride of Christ, that gives heed to his voice by reading his word? How powerful are you and I when we commit ourselves to the reading of God's word? It is stronger than any army man can create. Any army. Any army. Doesn't matter. Helicopters, subs, missiles, doesn't matter. Nuclear bombs, doesn't matter. For strong is the one who executes his word. You want to be strong in the Lord? Guys, girls, execute his word. I can have the best offense in the world, but if the guys don't execute it, what good is it? What good is it if they're not on the same page as their coach? Well, our coach, Jesus Christ, gives us his word. He wants us to execute it. He says if we execute it, we're strong in him. Do we take him at his word? Do we execute? And then it goes back. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? All right, up on the screen, it talks about uh, in verses 12 and 13. Let's look at that first and then go through this slide here. It says, verse 12, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Now here again in verse 12, we have the Lord saying this, turn to me with all your heart. Before we look at that word turn, up on the screen it says, it may already be too late, the twelfth hour. That is a worldly statement. That is not a godly statement. It may be too late. As long as you and I have breath, it's never too late to commit our lives, our heart to Jesus Christ. It's never too late. Yeah, Jake is given a second chance, but you know what? Every morning that you and I are given the breath of life, we're given another chance to live for Jesus Christ. More committed, more sold out. We have an opportunity to fall deeper in love with our Savior every day. Do we take advantage of that? Or are we so caught up in all the temporary stuff that he's clouded over? I believe, just like he did throughout the scripture, that if you're going through something right now, whatever it is, it can be one of two things. It's either shaking you to wake you to the reality of Jesus Christ and his love for you, 
or it's a distraction to keep you from hearing his voice. You can be distracted from hearing his voice by people that you care about. Did you know that? You can be distracted from hearing God's voice by people who care about you. You might well say, how is that, Vinny? How does that happen? Well, you might be so in love that a person is that you're blinded from God's word for the application in your relationships. That can happen, has happened. Has happened to some of us. Has happened to me in my uh, marriage with Maria. We have to keep Jesus first and everything else comes second, third, or fourth down the line. But Jesus has got to be first. So here's some things that are just in the world. On the left side are some of the things that are major, major topics in our society today. And you have to be politically correct with some of these things, but thank God I'm not a politician. So we talk about these things. We have abortions. There's been 50 million abortions since Roe vs. Wade's been passed. Now, if you're here and you've had an abortion tonight, this is not to condemn you because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, you're clean, there's going to be a reunion one day in heaven with that child. That's an awesome thing. That's awesome. But these are 50 million innocent lives that have been taken. That's just the United States of America. That's not worldwide. That's just here in the U.S. And I believe the blood of those 50 million babies is crying out. Just like Abel's blood was crying out to the Lord when Cain killed Abel. You have marriage. All these laws that are being passed defining what marriage is. Bible's very clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. Very clear. It's in his playbook. You and I have to make that decision. Do we listen to God or we do, do we listen to man in, in 2015? It's an individual choice. Adultery, the amount of adultery that's going on throughout the world, not alone just the United States. And God has given us marriage to fulfill that desire in our hearts. And I'm sure if you're reading the news, you know, the uh, famous movie actor and the HIV positive and the different women that he might have infected just because of his lifestyle. If it feels good, do it, regardless of the consequences. But the consequences are serious. There are consequences to all we do. The choices we make have consequences. Good choices usually result in good consequences. Bad choices result in bad consequences. Issue today throughout the world, throughout the country with homosexuality, the Bible is very clear. You and I are sinners, just like the homosexuals are. They need a Savior, just like you and I do. We have to turn from our sins. They have to turn from their sins. What does God say about it? It's throughout the Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, as well as the marriage 
covenant. And false religions. There are, some, there are thousands of false, millions of false religions. There are thousands of false gods. And there are false leaders, false pastors, false priests, false teachers. How do you know? Well, you don't if you don't know God's word. You don't have a litmus test if you don't know God's word. What they say can sound very good to your ears. But unless you know what God's word is, you have nothing to measure it against. It may already be too late, the 12th hour. No, because we have examples in God's word. We have the example of Jonah going to the Ninevites. They had 40 days or they were going to be toasted. God was going to destroy them. And from the king all the way down to the animals, they all put on sackcloth. They all repented. And God did not punish them. But 100 years later, he punished their children and their grandchildren. Nineveh was destroyed 100 years later. So is it too late in our country right now? No. We still have the breath of life. We still have the freedom to meet and the freedom to pray. We still have a God that is undefeated. We still have a God that can conquer any obstacle. Another great example that it's never too late was the thief on the cross. He was going into eternity that day. And it's a choice that all of us have. We're either the thief on the left or the thief on the right. We're either the thief that received Jesus or the thief that rejected Jesus. That's the world right there. Every individual has that choice that those two thieves had. And hanging up on that cross, everybody watching probably thought, boy, these guys are doomed. But that guy had Jesus' word that he was going to be in paradise with him that day. And guess what? He's still with him. 2,000 years later, he's still with him. That's so awesome. Okay, let's take a look at the next part. Verse 12, it says, Turn to me. Turn to me. Maybe we'll switch the title of the message. Turn to me. Turn is an action. Turn is a choice. Turn is a direction. You're going one way, you turn and go the other way. We know it in spiritual terms as repentance. Turn to me. Me being God. Me being Jesus, the Savior. You have a choice, all of us, to turn to follow Jesus. And when we turn to follow Jesus, we're leaving something behind. When I follow something over here and turn my back on Jesus, that's exactly what's happening. You're turning your back on him. And then you get the guilt trip or you get convicted and you turn and look and Jesus still is loving you. He still has his arms out for you. He wants you to make that complete turn and walk to him, embrace him for the rest of your life. That is something that we all have the ability to do. And hopefully we're all in that position. 
But notice what it says in the next verse. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. There's some things going on right there. And what I will, when you think of a fast, just think of a fast. Don't just think when you hear that word. And as you're thinking, turn to Isaiah 58, verse 5. Isaiah 58, verse 5. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 5. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Pretty cool explanation of fasting. Now, what was your thoughts when you heard the word fast? Most likely, it was giving up a meal or giving up, you know, um, something for a time. And that's fine. It, It doesn't have to always be food either. It could be an activity. It could be something that you enjoy doing and you're saying, okay, I'm going to fast from that. I'm going to get away from that. I'm going to give up this meal just to give that time to God. I'm going to talk to Him. I'm going to read His Word. I'm going to put some extra time in to hear from the Lord rather than take up the time with that other thing. I saw this picture. I thought it was pretty good. A hunger for God in the top portion, and then the bottom says, is not this the fast that I have chosen? I want to encourage all of us to think about that. Maybe there's that TV program you really enjoy, and maybe instead of that, maybe you just go outside on a nice night, or you just go in a quiet part of your house, 
and you just spend that half hour or hour just with the Lord. It doesn't have to be every time your favorite show's on. But you just do something that you're saying, hey, Lord, I just want to get alone with you right now. And I just think about Pastor Saeed over in the Iranian jail. He's going on, I think, four years now. He doesn't have anything that you and I had today. Any of the good stuff we had today, he doesn't have any of it. Yet, people are coming to the Lord while he's in prison. How does that happen? That defies reasonable thinking. You had more to eat probably at breakfast than he has all week. Definitely whatever you ate in the three meals today is more than he has in a week. Yet God is using this man, modern day Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. People are coming to the Lord through this man in prison. So can we take a step for our children? Can we take a step for our country? Can we take a step for our the body of Christ, can we take a step for our God and say, okay, God, I'm going to commit myself to just do something, whatever it is that the Lord puts on your heart, to spend that X amount of time just with you. If you saw the movie War Room, if you remember the beginning of that lady's prayer closet time, remember she was eating the chips, she had a chair, she couldn't get comfortable, she was going all around. It's when she really got rid of all that distraction and got down to the nitty-gritty and that she was persistent in prayer, she saw the effect of that prayer in the lives of the people that she loved. The time of Jacob's trouble is something that's in the future. It's another uh, term for the day of the Lord. In verse with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. There's an emotion in the weeping and the mourning. There's there's a passion. There's a passion. You know, being a coach, it's great to see. You love it when your athletes have passion, when they're intense and they're on fire. It's awesome. And a lot of times you try to get them fired up by, you know, demonstration or the words you're saying or just the excitement that you have. You're trying to give them some of your passion. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I'll tell you when it's great, when the passion is already in the person and they bring it and you catch fire because of their passion. Pray that each of us have the passion of the Holy Spirit in us in the name of Jesus to have that passion for the lost, to have passion for those people who are, have yet to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior that are right now ignorant that the time is coming when Jacob's trouble is going to be here. And it doesn't have to be Jacob's trouble. Oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't even think of that, Jake. Jacob's trouble. I didn't even think of that, bro. That was not intentional, Jake. Oh, that's awesome. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the day of the Lord, also known as Jacob's trouble, it's just the normal things that happen in life. Whether it's the craziness of a knife wound that Jake went through, whether it's battling cancer, whether there's a divorce, whether it's uh, finances, whatever the thing is that throws us off, whether it's family situations, whatever is going on, 
that's trying to get us off balance with our walk with the Lord. Understand that that's part of the strategy that the enemy's trying to do. But remember what Paul said, I've learned to become content in all things. But understand what he said, I've learned to become content. He didn't say I was born content. I went and purchased at the nearest tent my contentment. He didn't say that stuff. He learned. How do you and I learn? Usually the the hard way. The hard way. Jake said something in the car tonight that he looks at life from a different perspective now because his life was almost taken away. Us older people know what that means because we can look back on our lives and understand now the brevity of life, the importance of life. And as a parent, as a teacher, as a coach, you try to convey that to these young kids. But very few listen because it's got to be learnt. Very few grasp it until they go through it and look back. Pray that we have four young people in here tonight that I'm looking at, right? Five young people that I'm looking at. Do I hear six? No. There's five young people in here tonight. (laughs) There's five young people in here tonight. May you be the five young people on this planet that take God for it at his word, that you don't have to learn the hard way or learn the hard way anymore what God has planned for you and how much he loves you and cares for you and just wants to be your God and help you through this life and through all eternity. We're going to wrap up on this one tonight. We're not going to get through all the verses. I like to blame it on the two-minute cube, but it's not that. Okay, so we have the last one. And Jake, I picked this one for you, buddy. I think a few weeks ago, this might have been a very similar scene to a buddy of mine who played his heart out for me for three years on a basketball court. That was a great team leader, was one of my captains. And uh, three weeks ago, the enemy tried to take his life. But in that dorm, that day, unbeknownst to Jake, was God himself watching over Jake and taking him in his arms and bringing him to a place where he could get physical help. And since that time, he's gotten physical help, he's gotten spiritual help, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing, because that's who our God is. Because just like it says here on the screen in Isaiah, it says, I will be with you. How many times, everybody, has God been with you and me when we never even thought about him being there? Most of us wouldn't be here, right? if he wasn't there helping us through some of those situations. Psalm 50, 15 says, I will deliver you. I'll deliver you from the circumstances that you're in. Doesn't mean you won't go through those circumstances. Doesn't mean there's going to be some hard times coming. 
but I'm going to deliver you through it. In Psalms 32.8, I will watch over you. God is watching over all of us, whether you're 16, 14, 13, or all the way up the ladder. doesn't matter. God is watching over because each of you, if you receive Christ into your heart, is His child. And either way, you're His created person that He created personally with all the DNA that's unique to you. All the cells that are unique to you. And finally, Jeremiah 29.12 says that God will listen to you in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. When all that stuff is bombarding your head and your heart and you're all stressed out, not looking forward to the new morning, God says, I'm going to listen to you. Talk to me. Talk to me. Told Jake a week ago when he came to speak to my basketball team, Jake, I didn't think I was ever going to see you again. I really didn't. I didn't know what was going to happen when I walked into ICU and I saw him. I saw him hooked up to different tubes. And I saw him weak and pale and groggy. But God gave him a second chance, just like he's given all of us a second chance. And the bottom line is, as we all know, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And just like the beginning of the slide said, one of the slides here today, there's repercussions for what takes place in our lives. We reap what we sow. If you sow pumpkin seeds, you get pumpkins. You don't get orange trees. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap, whether it's good or bad. But one of the things God is calling all of us to, and it was one of his first words, and was the first words of John the Baptist, is we need to repent. And repent is simply turn. Turn from the way you're going. Listen to what God's trying to say and trust him. Just trust him with that. Trust him with your life. Doesn't make sense sometimes with all the stuff that's in our world bombarding us for our attention. That's why we need to spend that time with the Lord so He can give us His game plan for the day and for our lives. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.